You know, one of the most precious things in life that we have is water. Simple as, something as simple as water carries so much importance in our world today that, you know, it's one of those things that we don't think about a lot of times until we don't have it. Not too long ago, I was changing out our washing machine and was going to put another one in. A simple job, right? Just disconnect a few hoses and hook up a few hoses. Well, ended up having some leaks in the pipes. And that went on for about three days. And the, the last day, we didn't have water, so, you know, we couldn't take a shower that morning. And we're blessed to have those things. And, of course, many people in the world don't have those uh, blessings as we have them. Without water, life is impossible. And it's something that we should be very thankful of. But have you ever noticed how many times the word water is mentioned or used in uh, the Bible? I didn't bother to take account, but I'm sure it's, it's very numerous. But why does God mention water so much? Why is it that God has decided to use water in many different ways? Well, when we look at God's Word, we see a pattern. Now, we understand about patterns. We understand that God gave a pattern for the tabernacle. He's given a pattern for the church. And although there are those who deny that such patterns exist, or they call us foolish for uh, trying to show the Bible does teach in patterns, we can't help but notice certain patterns. Now, God uses certain numbers over and over as uh, in, in many symbolic ways, not only literal ways, but in symbolic ways that are used over and over and over. Well, this morning, I want us to look at something we may not have considered before, and that's how many times God uses water dealing with people's salvation or dealing with God's law in one way or another. And we start in the Old Testament because we know, and as we've been going through our uh, survey of the Old Testament, where we started and how we got up to you know, chapter 6 in Genesis, and it talks about the flood. Well, we know that before the flood came, it had not rained upon the face of the earth. God had watered everything uh, by a mist. But when water came, it was something that people were not used to. And this is really where we begin seeing God's pattern for water in man's salvation. And of course, I know you can look ahead and know where the sermon is going to end, but yet how often do we focus on those things as a pattern and, as, and how God has used water for man's salvation in one way or another? Uh, a lot of times it's not necessarily eternal salvation, but in other areas too. And we begin with the the fact that God destroyed the earth, or actually humanity he didn't destroy the earth, with the flood, although that's the way it's worded, we understand that the surface of the earth was changed dramatically. And we know Noah found grace in the eyes of God because he was a servant of God, so God chose him to build the ark in order to save humanity. And when you think about all the people that were on the face of the earth at that time, and only eight people were saved, it's really disheartening to see how man can be so 
hard toward God. But God did make the decision to destroy humanity by the flood. But yet He gave man the opportunity to escape that death in giving Noah the instructions on how to build the ark. And it also within that, and sometimes we may not realize it, uh, would the ark, would it have been able to hold all the inhabitants of the earth? Now, when we look at it, it, wasn't, it wouldn't, but God knew how big it needed to be because He knew man's heart. And God used water to save eight souls, and we find uh, Peter makes that statement later on. Uh, of course, at this time, <clears throat> during that uh, preparing of the ark, Noah was going around preaching to people, trying to get them to believe what God had told him to preach. He was wanting people to uh, not go to that death, the physical death to start with, but then also the spiritual death that would eventually come. But we see Noah doing what God said, and God brings the flood upon the earth and then all but eight souls perish because they didn't listen to God's preaching. They didn't listen to what Noah said. So we see very quickly in the beginning of the Bible how God brings in the idea of using water for salvation. And we can also see, knowing that the Bible is true, that when Peter refers to it thousands of years down the road, that it was an actual event. And as we've discussed in class about a universal flood as compared to a local flood, we can see that, that Peter uh, talks about only eight souls were saved by water and that being a, and going into that knowing that that was a universal flood. As a matter of fact, he makes that statement very clear when he says in 1 Peter 3.20, now we all are very familiar with what verse 21 says, but how often do we back up and look at what verse 20 says? He says, And when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. And then in verse 21, it talks about a light figure. And not to get too far ahead of myself, there are those who will try to say, well, see, when it talks about a light figure, it's not real, it's just a symbolic, you really don't have to to be baptized. Uh, but yet, here Peter points out very clearly and also uh, confirms what was written by Moses concerning this situation. So, uh, God very early in, in man's history, you know, we know that uh, the flood took place, I think, around maybe 1500 uh, BC, uh, excuse me, around uh, 2500 BC. Right around in there, if I got my dates correct, I'd have to go back and check that. But there were people who were not concerned enough and did not believe what was preached about God was going to destroy the earth by water. I'm sure Noah preached that and was saying that God is going to destroy this earth and it's going to be done by a great flood. You need to come into the ark. But many people just, well, most people, when you look at only eight people out of all of humanity at that time, uh, decided to go into the ark. So that is, that is one. Now the next one we're looking at is 
what we have been studying recently, and that's the crossing of the Red Sea. And why did God choose that? Well, if we read the, the account, and you'll know why that God used water, or one of the reasons He did was that that water that saved the Israelites would kill the Egyptians. But we know that this great event took place. It wasn't some fable or story that man came up with as the critics try to talk about and try to say, well, when they crossed the Red Sea, it wasn't very deep and it, you know, so on and so forth. But we know the, the Bible tells us that both the water was held up on both sides and the, the Israelites went across on dry ground. Now that is a miracle. In two, in two instances, one, the water being parted, but also the fact that they went across on dry ground. Uh, we all know how long it takes dirt or mud to dry up to where you could walk on it. But we see this, and if you will, turn over to Exodus, the 14th chapter. We're going to do some reading this morning and uh, looking at some of these. And this is uh, God's chosen way to deliver uh, the Israelites from the Egyptians. If we turn to Exodus beginning in verse uh, 14, beginning in verse 13, And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, we shall see them again no more forever. Now remember that that was a problem with the Israelites. They saw the Egyptians pursuing them. And that would scare, I mean, these weren't just average people. The Egyptians were, these were mighty soldiers. These were trained soldiers. And they're pursuing them. Verse 14, The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. But lift thou up thy rod, and stretch out thine hand over the sea, and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. So we see here that God's telling Moses to raise his hand. He's going to divide the water. And they're going to go over on dry ground. So, and also let us look at uh, verse 21, beginning in verse 21. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them to the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning watch, the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians and took off their chariot wheels that they drave them heavily. So that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians." Now, that would have been great if they would have taken their own advice. But they didn't do that. Yeah. That's like, well, people come to a, you know, especially in times of flood, they come to a spot in the road and they stop and they wonder, well, can I make it through this water? And they'll say, well, you know, I really should turn back, but I'm going to go ahead and try it anyway. We see it all the time. And they get out into the water and they get stranded. 
And people have even lost their lives because of making a decision like that. It reminds me of what the Egyptians did here. And as we continue our reading, verse 26, And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his, uh, returned to his strength uh, when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. And thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw that the great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and His servant Moses. So God saved them by using and making uh, access of the Red Sea. Not only did He open it so that they could go on the other side, but He used it to make sure that the uh, Egyptians didn't continue to pursue His people. So this is another great example of how God uses water. Now, another one's a little bit different, and this is important too, and a lot of people don't understand this, was the fact that if you recall the tabernacle and all the things of the tabernacle and in the courtyard and all those things, we don't have time to go through all of those this morning, but out in front was what was, uh, it was made a, a laver, or some say laver, it's like a big dish, kind of like a super huge bird bath. And it was filled with water. And the priests had to wash in this before they went into the tabernacle. That's a simple command, right? That's a simple rule. That's not very difficult to understand. But it was for a cleansing. They were to be clean before they went in to do the service of God. And therefore, it was important. Although it seems very simple, it's important. And here the priests had to abide by what God had said. If you will, turn over to Exodus, the 30th chapter. And we'll read a little bit about this and see how important it is. And unfortunately, people today do not think that there's importance in things such as baptism or meeting on the first day of every week, or partaking of the Lord's Supper every week. They just think those are trivial matters, and if you want to do them, that's fine. You know, God is just pleased if you show up. God is just pleased if you happen to mention Him. Unfortunately, that's the mindset of many people. But as we look at Exodus 30th chapter, beginning in verse 18, uh, the commandment to make the, the labor... And thou shalt also make a labor of brass, and his foot also of brass, to wash withal. And thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and thou shalt put water therein. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water, that they die not. 
or when they come out uh, or when they come near to the altar to minister to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord. And they shall wash their hands and their feet that they die not, and it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his seed throughout the generations. And there's two verses here that mention the same thing. They had to wash so that they wouldn't die. Do you think you would forget that commandment? Do you think that you would ignore that commandment if you happen to have been a priest? Would you have been testing God to say, I really don't believe God. I've got faith in God. You know, I believe God is there. I'm a priest after all, right? I believe that God is there. I believe in God's law and so forth. But I just don't really see the necessity of me washing before I go. I'm not dirty. There are a lot of things that a person could say, and they say those things about being baptized today or other things. Well, God knows my heart. I don't have to be there on the first day of every week. You know, God knows my heart. Man is good at trying to justify and rationalize what he wants or what he doesn't want or what he wants to do or doesn't want to do. But we see here that if they did not do what God said, God would kill them. He would strike them dead. Remember Nadab and Abihu? If we go back to Leviticus, the 10th chapter, Nadab and Abihu. That's a prime example of people doing what they want rather than what they're supposed to do or commanded by God. And then God made it a commandment that they were to wash. And as we look at the types and antitypes of the, uh, of the Bible, we see this was an, uh, an antitype to uh, baptism being before you can enter into the church. You have to be cleansed before you can enter into the church. And we do that through baptism. You know, what did uh, Ananias say to Paul? Rise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. That is a cleansing. You cannot get into the church without being cleansed of your sins. There are people who say, well, all you have to do is just ask God to forgive you. And of course, through our studies and knowing what the Bible teaches, it takes more than just asking God to forgive you. There's a lot more than that. But we see here, once again, God has used water in his plan to accomplish what he wanted. There is also in the scriptures for us the uh, recording of different laws and uh, statutes and things under the Old Testament. We understand that there, uh, many of them had to do with cleansing, had to do with sanitary situations and so on and so forth. And this brings us to the fact that there was water used in the cleansing of lepers. Therefore, God used water in the cleansing of... Now, we understand about Nadab, I mean, uh, Naaman, but it was also for other lepers too. Let's turn to Leviticus 14. God was very specific about cleanliness for His people. Uh, not, not only in that, but also like the dietary situations too and uh, all, the, all the things that went along with that. But we look at Leviticus 14th chapter, beginning in verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought unto the priest. 
And the priest shall go forth out of the camp, and the priest shall look and hold. Behold, look and behold, if the plague of leprosy be healed in the leopard. Then shall the priest command to take for him that is to be cleansed two birds alive and clean, and cedar wood, and scarlet, and hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. As for the living bird, he shall take it in the cedar wood, and the scarlet, and the hyssop, and shall dip them in the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. And he shall sprinkle upon him that is to be cleansed from the leprosy seven times. Now, once again, that number seven appears and shall pronounce him clean, and shall let the living bird loose into the open field. And he that is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes, and shave off all his hair, and wash himself in water, that he may be clean. And after that he shall come into the camp, and shall tarry abroad out of his tent seven days. But it shall be on the seventh day that he shall shave all his hair off his head, and his beard, and his eyebrows, even all his hair he shall shave off, and he shall wash his clothes. Also he shall wash his flesh in water, and be and he shall be clean. So look how many times that, that washing was involved in that. And see, this is all leading up to what it takes to be cleansed of our sins. So when God said these things, they were to, they were to be carried out. These weren't options. You know, God didn't say, if you want to do this, this is what you do. If not, that's not a problem. Just, you know, go your own way. Do what you want. God never said that. But there are many people who feel that way. And, of course, we have the situation where Joshua led the people into the promised land. And what did they have to do? They had to cross over water once again. This is very similar to the fact of the crossing of the Red Sea. God parted the waters once again so they could go over dry land into the promised land. And of course we know that if we go back and read that account there, the fact that in Joshua, uh, the fact that they set up a memorial after they crossed over and they had taken uh, the stones out of the middle of the river, out of the Jordan River and set up the memorial and so on and so forth. But once again, God used water to allow them to go into the promised land. Now, it would have been very difficult, and, you know, oftentimes water has been used to prevent uh, one's enemy from getting to them. Look at the moats around a castle. Why did they put moats around castles? It was to help keep the enemy out. Remember, you had to let down the drawbridge, and although there were, I imagine, some very uh, smart people who figured out ways to cross that water, but it was not an easy task. So water has been used for protection. And here, the fact that God had to let, uh, had to part the waters for the Israelites to go across would mean that the enemies, you know, would have a hard time getting over into the promised land. Not that it couldn't happen, but we see that once again, God used water in this situation. Now, we also see the healing of uh, Naaman the leopard. He, could God have healed him other ways? We know what God did command, and that was for him to go into the Jordan River. Once again, water. He was to go in and dip seven times, therefore cleansing himself. There are some other examples in the Old Testament and probably some in the New Testament, but this brings us up to the fact of 
why does God use water and why has he used water in order for man's salvation today? There is a lot said about baptism in the New Testament, and yet people act like it is not. It's just something that's very rarely mentioned. But as we see here what Peter said, referring back to the water and back to the, uh, the flood and all, it is not necessarily the water that saves us today, but the commandment to the Lord, the conscience of a, uh, a good heart. But yet we have to uh, be baptized in water, Remember, John was baptizing uh, near Enon because why? There was plenty of water there. It is not sprinkling. Baptism is not sprinkling. Baptism is not just partial, a partial dipping, or, you know, dropping your foot in water, or whatever. It's a complete immersion. And we see all of these things leading up to the fact that baptism is commanded by God. It's a command, it's not an option. Because when Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. The command, and if we go back and look at that, uh, Matthew's account of that, Matthew 28, it's the command to go teach and then to baptize people. Why? Because it's necessary. It is necessary in order to be cleansed of our sins. When Peter spoke to the uh, Jews on the day of Pentecost, be baptized for the remission of your sins. In other words, the taking away of your sins. God didn't just decide after all this other stuff that, well, the New Testament's coming on, the new law's coming on. How can I save people? This is a plan that had been from the very beginning. Well, as we say beginning, but God doesn't have a beginning. And therefore, God has always known this. It's important to understand that uh, the world is going to go and do what they want to do. They're going to reject God's Word. They're going to justify their own beliefs, their own feelings, and reject what God has said. If we look at Acts, the 10th chapter, if you want to turn there, we talk about being, uh, talk about baptism being a command. And some people say, well, it's not a command. Well, what does the Bible say? Remember when Peter went to the house of Cornelius? And there were several witnesses there. He, he had to take some Jewish brethren with him. But if we look at what verse 48 says, well, let's back up to verse 47. He says, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? Notice verse 48. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And they prayed that, uh, him to tarry certain days there, and that would probably involve much teaching. But notice, he commanded them. Now, we know that God is not a respecter of persons, that God requires all people to be saved the same. So why does it say that he commanded them? Because it was a command for all people. It's not a, uh, well, if you like to, you know, if you think it would be fun. or No, it's a command to be baptized. So here God uses water once again. But when we look from the very beginning, from where the flood was, all the way through the Bible, it's just it's amazing all the examples that are there for us. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. But it wasn't by accident. None of this is by accident. It's by what God has chosen so we can comprehend it. Everything God has basically revealed to us, we can comprehend 
Being baptized for the remission of our sins is something we can comprehend. And it's not only a matter of being baptized for the remission of our sins, it's also joining us to Christ. And we go to Romans, the sixth chapter, and we look at uh, verses 3 and 4 there. We're being baptized into the death of Christ. How do we get in? Uh, how do we do that? The scripture says we're baptized into the death. So it's very important so that we can connect with Christ. If you don't do these things, you can't connect with Christ. It's that simple. So God has made it abundantly clear that water is involved in man's salvation in many ways. That is one thing that we need to keep preaching no matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what the world says. It's what God says. I'm sure that you've had discussions with people about baptism. Now, I don't know if baptism would be the first place I would start a conversation in, but if they start the conversation with that, you you know. But it is something that we need to keep preaching and teaching whenever we have the opportunity. If you're here this morning and have not uh, obeyed that command to become a child of God through uh, believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized into Christ. And we encourage you to do that this morning as we sing, stand and sing. But we also encourage you, if you, as a child of God, if you need to come forward this morning, we pray that you'll do so as we stand and sing.